This is the Mornington Peninsula Regional Galleries Conversation Series, Episode 15. We are talking to 2018 National Works on Paper Award winners James Tyler and Laura Wills. Hello and welcome to the Mornington Peninsula Regional Galleries Conversation Series, a podcast for people curious about art and the lives of artists. In this episode, Senior Curator Danny Lacey talks to James Tyler and Laura Wills, winners of the $15,000 Mornington Peninsula Shire Balura the Talis Foundation Major Acquisitive Award in the 2018 National Works on Paper. Their award-winning work, The Forgotten Wars 2017, was based on town and mining maps from the British Parliamentary Papers and Commissioner's Reports on the Colonisation of Australia. The Australian Frontier Wars were a series of armed conflicts, massacres and battles that took place from 1788 to 1930 between the invading British government and Aboriginal Australians. They talk about this unique collaboration as an Indigenous and a non-Indigenous artist and how they are decolonising the Australian Frontier War stories. Thanks for joining us today, James and Laura. Hi, Danny. Firstly, congratulations on winning the 2018 National Works on Paper. It's very exciting. It's great to have you here in Mornington. Your collaborative work, The Forgotten Wars, features a series of five images that are quite stunning. The combination of James's photographic prints overlaid with your drawings, Laura. Where did the idea for this series come from? And I'd love to hear your interpretation of the actual works. James, I think you can... Yeah, I first started this series when I came across some books in the South Australian Library and I had pneumonia at the time and I was needing to go to the library because it was somewhere warm to work and because home was too cold and I stumbled across some really intriguing looking books that I just saw on the shelf. Um, I wasn't looking for them or anything and I saw this gold embossing and I thought, oh, it might be interesting just to see what these are. And I pulled them off the shelf and they were the British Parliamentary Papers on the Colonisation of Australia. And I essentially just started reading, like looking at them first and just being kind of blown what I was looking at. And then I thought to focus down onto South Australia. And then I was like, oh, there is a chapter on the first papers for South Australia and then I was like, as an Aboriginal person, Ghana, our people come from the Adelaide area and it's the first place to be colonised. I just wondered if there was any information about Ghana people. And then, then I started to read, I started to realise that there was a lot of information about the mistreatment of Aboriginal people and how calculated colonisation was, and including some of them were accounts of what the military did in South Australia, but there was also a lot of war maps as well, some for Sydney Road between Melbourne and Sydney, which was a pretty substantial kind of military outpost all the way along the road. And there was also a war map for the east coast of Tasmania. And, yeah... I think combining all of that information up, I didn't really know. Like, I found it quite confronting. It took me maybe, like, a year to sort of work through it emotionally because I realised that a lot of what had happened in the very early days, like racial segregation, removal to missions, the violence, all kind of manifests into, like, contemporary racism, misunderstandings, division within culture between non-Indigenous and Indigenous people. So it took me a while to work through those things, but then I kind of wanted to make some work about it to talk about the maps. And I um, then kind of didn't really know how to do it, so I approached Laura about potentially drawing over the photographs, and then from that collaboration sort of 
Yeah. First you were just asking for my advice because I do a lot of drawing on maps, drawn over them for about 10 years now in lots of different ways. And I was in James's studio and we were talking about the maps and then it just went back and forth a bit and it was like, oh, why don't you just have a go drawing them? And then that's how it sort of started. Mm. It would be great to hear more about the collaborative aspect of the work. What was the collaborative process like? Did you make your own part of the work separately or was there ongoing dialogue between the both of you? I mean, the stages to the way it's kind of come about, I guess, initially I took the photographs and did the main body of the research that sort of set it up. But then after like coming to the point where you were going to draw on the works, we sort of came up with a methodology to that. And it was that me as an Indigenous artist would present the landscape and then I kind of wanted to make a way of sort of, in a small way, making colonisation, that process. And so that was giving Laura not really free reign in a colonial sense, but just stepping back and letting her draw and deface my work as a kind of metaphor for colonisation. I think at first it's pretty confronting. Yeah, we went to the library together and James showed me the maps and I was a bit blown away and just sort of had you know, sit with the whole concept for a while and know that it's going to be really moving and really harrowing work to do, to think about and to see for the first time too because I didn't know this history and I'm intrigued by it and I want to know it. Yeah. Yeah. And you've done heaps of reading yourself, like it's unearthed as yep, well. about the Tasmanian Aboriginals, yeah, but there's so much more to do. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah there seems to be something that's happening at the moment where there is a lot of reinvestigation into the past and those hidden histories potentially are definitely coming through a bit more in almost yeah. mainstream culture as well. I think an acknowledgement is coming up or that needs to happen or that, I don't know, I'm still digesting it, but yeah. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's hard to sort of really know. I notice that like a lot of things have changed in my life and mm. I think like the generation before us have kind of started to bring these topics up just on a very very like minimal kind of thing and I think with social media access to information and just understanding that the history that we were taught at school isn't necessarily true so I think mm. with all of that we're trying to figure out a methodology to sort of bring those stories up because they are pretty like I mean there's still people living with the experience of racial segregation you know there's still people in their 60s who grew up on missions so I guess as young people, we are probably only get to witness the echoes of that. Like, I mean, I had a little bit of racism as a kid, but it's not as prevalent as it used to be. And I think that's with the changing of society. It seems like sometimes it's okay to bring this up. It's still confronting for some Indigenous people to talk about. This is confronting for non-Indigenous people knowing that their ancestors committed some of these atrocities as well. So it's still pretty hard topic to bring up. Contentious, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it needs to be spoken about and I feel like there's so much history in the land and in the buildings and in the people and there's been so many activists in the past but I don't know any of it yeah. and how can I not know any of it and I don't feel connected to it. Why not? What is this land? What is this culture? And I'm like really, really eager to learn more. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. That's how I It's interesting feel. you get <clears throat> maybe just growing up a little bit as well and but you think about what you were taught in high school or primary yeah. school and the history lessons seem like a lot of things weren't talked about or there were a lot of things that just weren't part of the curriculum or mm. part of um, yeah. 
the knowledge, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think we're becoming more aware because of social media mm. and social mm. media feeds. People are bringing it up. And I think mm-hmm. some people are willing to talk about it. Some people know that it needs to be talked about and there's some people who just don't want to. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a general consensus that some people don't want to talk about it but are willing for the conversation to happen because they know that it kind of needs to surface at some point. Mm. And I think from there you get resolution. Like I think that people become aware that... You know, these things have happened and they need to be resolved, even if it is 200 years on, because there's, like, people living with inequality based on, essentially, displacement because of war, you know? Like, Mm. Indigenous people are still not having the same life expectancies, not having the same opportunities as non-Indigenous people in Australia. So I think, like, this is the basis of the fundamental thing that led to that inequality. So I think it's timely. It's it's a hard topic to look at, but I think it's a very, like, important one if we want to have social equality in Australia at some point, you know, mm-hmm. and that's probably not going to be right away, but I think just getting it going and also letting other people know that they can talk about these things as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting that there's so much dialogue with that sort of, I guess, the growth of information and social media, but it was actually those old books yeah. that, I guess, started this process and this project. Yeah, well, I guess because they were sort of written by the people in Parliament setting up colonisation, so I guess it sort of comes back to the point of when the ideas of the people were going like, oh, I want this plot of land in South Australia or I want this plot of land in Victoria or or New South Wales, and just sort of, you know, you go back and you get to see what they did and then you understand power dynamics within social structures in Australia and how there's a legacy of that. Mm. And, and, yeah, and I guess with social media, it still hasn't kind of come up, but they just reference books that have been sitting there for, like, you know, yeah. almost... And those uh, maps and those plans are what I referenced in the drawing side of things. And just to even think that there's war maps between the British government and Australian Aboriginal people, that they even exist is amazing, you know. Yeah, so that uh, way of drawing or those old plates, that's what we were looking at and we documented and then took them back to the studio and then referenced those in the drawing into the landscape that James had photographed. So there's this conversation between the hills and the trees and then the lines and then the boundaries and the settlements and and that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, the layering of your practices works visually quite beautifully, how those photographs that sit in the background, it's almost like the background and foreground flows between the drawings and the photograph. It's quite... Well, I think because maps are landscapes, so they flow, like maps are not always straight. Like, I mean... I guess with like Adelaide's an example when you have that classical Roman street structure of grid systems, but Mm. then as you go out into places where there's valleys, there's hills, like you can't make a road without needing to curve a little bit because the landscape is a dominant strength in there. And I guess like when you're drawing those war maps, they they were using old Aboriginal tracks that meandered around hills rather than cutting through in sort of like this act of dominant colonialism, you know. So And you've also got the vantage point of a map, which is bird's eye view, and then yeah. the vantage of the photo, which you're blurring together, which is yeah. what makes people go, oh, what am I looking at? Is that a photo of the landscape or is that a map? It's sort of a bit disorientating, I guess, which makes you mm. be intrigued yeah, to go yeah. and look at it and find out what's going on. Mm. Yeah. Your work reframes the landscape by layering multiple histories and reimagining a new relationship between landscape and history. 
can you talk about the idea of decolonising the stories about the Australian frontier wars in relationship to the visual language that you've used in the work? It's a hard one because I guess like decolonialism, it's relatively recent kind of terminology in like the last 30 years, but it's become really popular or at least it's made a bit of a, a thing within the art scene in Australia. Still trying to get my head around it exactly, but I think in essence it's like unpacking colonialism and then finding a way to talk about it as if it's not necessarily the positive narrative. It's like it is also the negative narrative. And then bringing the Indigenous narrative, which is 65,000 years to 100,000 years old in Australia, one of the oldest human cultures that are still continuing from the point of when people arrive, still having stories about when people arrived here bringing those sorts of narratives forward by like unpacking colonialism and sort of going well this is what colonization did it pushed back these stories pushed back people and then bringing those to the surface so I think in that it's first acknowledging the power structure of colonialism and I think looking at those maps is really the fundamental foundation of colonialism so without starting there you can't unwind it to make it decolonial. And we've started on a second series as well, which further references the early colonialism. And we're looking at the illustrations and early photographs as well and bringing that to the forefront in the work too, which almost makes it more graphic. So it's almost a bit... Uh, more obvious. More, yeah, more obvious and more difficult to maybe look at. Well, um, it's got pictures of actual frontier tension, conflict. More between, tension. Yeah, but also just mm. to sort of make people aware that these images exist as well. And yeah. that it's sort of that it was actually fairly well documented. It's just, uh, I guess, yeah. in the title, Forgotten Wars, it's never really been forgotten by Aboriginal people. I think it's just that it's... In mainstream Anglo-Australia, it's deliberately been forgotten by policymakers and then downward, down through teaching until the point where some people just just not aware and maybe never been taught. But then sometimes there you hear stories about people telling oral histories that have been passed down from farmer to farmer about what's happened on land. So you sometimes they've stepped back and go, was it ever forgotten by both sides of the people involved in the conflict. So it's an interesting one, mm. yeah. Mm. I'll just talk a little bit about the actual works. Where did you take the photographs? Yeah, so we've made pretty much two series of works and then one singular work. The first series, the one that's exhibiting here, which is The Forgotten Wars 1, that was of an area near the Barossa, so between Barra, the Barossa, which is right next to where my family comes from, around Balaclava and Hamlet Bridge. So I wanted to sort of take pictures of the South Australian landscape, just north of Adelaide, where my ancestors come from. And then I guess the maps have just been really looking at the general kind of colonialism, haven't they? Yeah, the general aesthetic that was used in those early maps. And I've grabbed that and then responded to each one individually. Mm. Mm Within the drawing elements, there seems to be a combination of cartographic references that seem to be both Indigenous and colonial mapping. Were those images obviously sourced or referenced from those existing maps? Yeah, they were. And a lot of the early drawings, I'm not exactly sure of the process of how they were made, but some of the representations of some of the hills and the landscapes were quite beautiful with little markings and lines. And I've taken that aesthetic a little bit and sort of changed the shape of it and then it might look like something else 
even though I originally was from the maps, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, you've both also just been announced the winners of the Fluoro Biennale Art Prize. Coupled with winning the National Works on Paper, what does this afford you both as artists? It's really exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting. And it's really great to be acknowledged for all the work. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's kind of, I mean, the money really is like, as artists, we're both full-time artists, but we're both, it's really struggle. Like, I can only speak for myself, but I know that I've only been earning about as much as you get on Centrelink. So financially, it gives me freedom, essentially, and that is amazing. So I don't have to struggle and I can spend more time developing work and not needing to find work or even sign up for the doll, which has happened a few times. But it just gives you freedom. But I think the thing that really is the most important part is not the money, but the acknowledgement of these things that we're looking at. For me, it's not even about the artwork. It's about what? the things we're talking about, yeah. which are really intrinsically important to all Australians. We mm. should be, if not acknowledged. But for us, it feels like... I don't know. I important. guess like it feels yeah. For me, it feels like really important work to be yeah. doing, and it feels like oh, people are interested and they want to know about this work. Yeah. So it feels like oh, okay, we're talking about stuff that we're going to do next, and it's really exciting. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I think maybe because I've spent two years mulling over those books and mm -hmm. what they mean and what they personally mean, and knowing that the things that were talked about in that book directly affect cultural cleansing and stuff like that. Being able to speak about it. I think that there's a saying like the burden halved is a burden shared and I really think when you start to acknowledge it, it is a weight. Like I think it's kind mm. of, I'm not going to say it's amazing because those histories are horrible and they'll continue to be present in contemporary ways but I think it is kind of a bit of a relief, you know, knowing that like the story's not denied anymore or at least not acknowledged and I think that's kind of nice knowing that two art prizes have thought that visually they're stunning works and the collaboration's great but also that there is an underlying concept under there that was important I think yeah mm -hmm. now finally we always ask this to everyone in the podcast what advice would you give to artists just starting out that's a good one <laughs> or maybe I'll start off and then you follow in I would say I don't know what I want to say sounds a bit cheesy like think deeply and find your inner like find find <laughs> something about what you want to say I don't know let me just think a little bit more about that do you have something yeah I guess like I don't know following your passion might seem like a cop-out but it is really like Unless you're an artist that gets lucky and makes lots of money, which doesn't seem to be really what it is to be a professional artist. A professional artist is driven by your passion solely and that will be the thing that gets you through, I think. If you are going to be an artist and you choose to dedicate your life because it's a struggle, it's not easy. And it's, I think that yeah. it's essentially passion should be the first thing and the second thing is if you choose maybe to do things that are overtly new cutting edge or political is to just find confidence within that and just follow your passion and just look at the end goal and not necessarily get caught up in what people think. I think with social media, social critiques in art schools can be really hard to deal with. 
and it can be a struggle, but I think if you have something that's really important, say if it's an issue within society, if that's your end goal, go for that because I think that at the end of the day is the most important. Maybe you can't change the world as an artist. Some artists have, particularly I think of like the Aboriginal flag or the Bark petitions. They all have definitely made a pretty important and substantial contribution to Australia. So I think that as an artist you can make small changes and I think it's really important if you have something that's really important to say, say it, you know. And I would also say get out there and meet people and talk to people and talk to people about what you're doing and find other artists that are doing things that you connect with and also think about having a practice that might not just be what you think is having an art practice which is exhibiting and selling work commercially because I think it's much more interesting to have a practice that also involves collaboration and community projects, participatory artworks and other types of ways that you can work as an artist in society talking about things. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for recording the podcast with me tonight and congratulations again on being the winners of the 2018 National Works on Paper. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for listening to episode 15 of our conversation series. Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery is the region's major cultural facility and is supported by Mornington Peninsula Shire and other partners. Visit mprg.mornpen.vic.gov.au to find out about our latest exhibitions and events. Our 2018 podcast program is supported by the Gordon Darling Foundation. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. 